it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, six days and counting. We, everybody's talking about the midterms wherever you go politically uh, tapped in, whether it's your job or you just care about the competition. People are just engaged. Uh, also, uh, get ready. Uh, and we're really looking forward to being on again in Abilene, Texas. KZQQ 1560 AM uh, will be on uh, live for three hours on News Talk 1560 at Abilene, the talk of the town. So uh, we look forward to uh, uh, being with you through the next election cycle as we'll officially begin November 7th. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Venezuelan migrants essentially rushed the border in El Paso. You're going to see a line of Border Patrol agents start pushing those migrants back into the water into Mexico. And those border agents were armed with paintball guns. Now, why did they do that? CBP says some of these migrants attacked the Border Patrol agents all you have to do is see the video they did with a venezuelan flag it's like uh, the gaza strip all of a sudden uh with the israelis trying to keep everybody in check only this is our country and it's happening right here uh we'll discuss all that because we are talking about the cbp waiting for some words of support from this government they're not getting it number two the oil industry is not doing the right thing they haven't met their commitment to invest in America and support the American people. Wow. Uh, there you go. The president of the United States can never stop blaming oil wars. Now with the OPEC plus, not with OPEC plus, but with American energy, oil and gas. That's the president's approach to the diesel shortage in oil and gas prices. In truth, he and the administration should shoulder the bulk of the blame. And November 6th, we'll find out if they'll pay at the ballot box. Number one. The latest Fox News power ranking shows Republicans with 49 possible seats in the Senate, Democrats 47, four races we call toss-ups. The House forecast is 223 Republican with 186 Democrat, 26 are still in that toss-up column. Six days in counting and Republicans are closing in everywhere. While many Senate races remain too close to call, we'll have the closing messages uh, and all but final polls. I could not believe some of these numbers. Do you know Georgia means so much, obviously, after losing both races and uh, tangentially, essentially control of the Senate. They have put combined a half billion dollars uh, into Warnock and Herschel Walker and Kemp and Stacey Abrams. Why? Well, of course, uh, Jim Crow 2.0, total fallacy, lost in the All-Star game, lost Stacey Abrams a lot of respect in the inner city because they ended up going to Colorado because they said the election laws were something they were not there to limit minority turnout. When turnout has been through the roof, so there's proven to be a total folly. And then when you find out, too, what's happening in Pennsylvania, you got a stroke victim going against an experienced heart surgeon, TV personality. People are pouring money into that. In fact, an all-time record, $27 million Oz poured in from his own personal fortune. That's how much it means to him. That's how much he's staking in himself. And now, for some reason, it's too close to call when this guy is basically Bernie Sanders in a hoodie 
don't get it, don't understand it. Main reason why Republicans are winning everywhere or closing in if they're not winning rapidly, it's about the economy. When asked uh, by Wall Street Journal poll, would you say the economy is going in the right direction? 71% say it's in the wrong direction. Only 19% feel good about it. Guess who's to blame? The guy in the White House and the party in power. Even though it's a slight advantage, it is a big advantage. So this is where we're at right now with six days to go. Now we understand that there's a 51% chance. First, there was a 70% chance Democrats were going to win the Senate. Now 538 saying a 51% chance the Republicans win the Senate. Tiffany Smiley closing in in Washington. Blake Masters in a virtual dead heat in Arizona. Why? Guess he's a great candidate. Mark Kelly is not. Great resume, terrible performance, horrible campaigner. And looks totally insincere as he tries to run from Joe Biden because he voted with him almost every day. Kirsten Cinema, a different story. And I think that Blake Masters would have more trouble with her, to be honest. To be candid, I should say. And then what's happening in New York? Emerson poll says eight. The Trafalgar poll says he's winning. And I'm talking about Lee Zeldin. Here's what he said last night with Sean Hannity. Cut nine. The support that we're getting around the state, we have all the momentum on our side, all the energy on our side. We have the issues on our side. People are done with Kathy Hochul. And this is Republicans, Democrats, and independents all together as, as New Yorkers to be able to save this state. So I remember that conversation with you early on in this campaign. We stuck with the issues. And crime. And crime kept going up. I wish it didn't. Abortion was a big thing in June. Still mattered in August. It'll be an issue, but it's not top five in almost everybody's deck. And guess who only talks about it? Kamala Harris. uh, Abortion rights. That's why she's in New York. Hillary Clinton in New York. Talking about women being, uh, you know, the the Republicans' view of women is less than human. Uh, But it's all about, too, the front page of the New York Post today. A crime victim whose daughter was killed when their ex-husband was put in jail for 24 hours for threatening to kill her, let out, and then he executed her. And he says, she says, basically, Governor Hochul, by continuing to push back against the mayor and others who want to get her in a no-cash bail, allowing people to get out the same day unless it's a serious crime, death threats I always thought were a serious crime, you are to blame. That's what's going on in New York. And guess what else is happening? Other seats seem vulnerable. Look at this. Other people vulnerable. California. Why? Governors disengaged or not engaged. Newsom's running around, taking on the Texas governor, taking out ads for uh, taking on Ron DeSantis. And now he's beginning to lose seats and certainly momentum in California. That's why I think he made the announcement yesterday. Right now, running for president is not in his plans. So far, the Cook Report has moved 10 seats to lean GOP. That, to me, is pretty significant. The GOP is now predicted to have 49 seats in the Senate. The Democrats have 47 locked up, four are toss-up. Not a surprise. Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Washington and Florida, our race have shifted towards uh, Republicans. So Val Deming's good resume, not performance, is somebody giving Rubio a hard time, but I think he's got about a five- or six-point lead. That's where it stands. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, also weighing in around the country, I think, by the way, if you think New York is seriously in play, any doubt it's in play, you have Ron DeSantis doing joint appearances and Lee Zeldin in, in person and on Sean Hannity's show last night. Uh, you have in Texas, you have Abbott opening up a six-day-point lead over Beto O'Rourke, superior, superior charisma, but his record's terrible and he's not strong on the border. That makes it impossible. So uh, other people that are pulling ahead, the other star on the left is Stacey Abrams. 
Stacey Abrams didn't win the last election, even though she didn't admit it. Now she doesn't claim she never admitted it. And now she's losing by six or eight. Brian Kemp has been very effective, Governor Abbott effective, because they perform. Not that they are actually actors, uh, actors and actresses. They're actually producing. Here's Brian Kemp talking about how uh, Stacey Abrams continues to vilify him, but it doesn't add up. Cut for cut for. Stacey Abrams continues to talk about just because there's turnout doesn't mean there's suppression. I mean that that math, that's fuzzy Washington D.C. math. That math doesn't add up. She never talks about us. We added early days to vote on the weekend in Georgia. So Georgians have been doing that over the last several weeks, and we're seeing record turnout. And I would encourage people to go vote and vote for somebody that has been truthful with you, not someone who has milked you out of taxpayer dollars, padded her own pocket, and not been truthful. And uh, that is Governor Kemp. And a lot of people think that if he wins convincingly, he'll be a presidential candidate. And what he's referring to is the election law changes. And what he's saying is, I opened up some areas and tightened up others. There were pandemics where people just got flooded with ballots, unrequested absentee ballots, got to stop. Why would you, if you don't request a ballot, you should not be getting one in the mail. Why put that type of pressure on election workers who aren't even asking for ID? They said instead of signature match, I think you should bring ID. 80% of the country are for that. Why? Because you don't want your vote to be canceled out either under some knucklehead who doesn't agree with you. Or even if they do agree with you, you want a, a, a process with integrity. Stacey Abrams says it was suppression. You had President Biden calling it Jim Crow 2.0. And you say that doesn't ratchet up the rancor and anger in this country? Of course it does. Lastly, before I take, uh, take a break and open up the phone calls and we'll have Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour, let's just take a look at Pennsylvania. Uh, I have not seen a clean poll since the disastrous debate for John Fetterman. Not that he performed bad. is that he's not capable of doing better. He had a stroke. He should not be running, in my view. And we don't know the details of the after effects of that stroke because he will not release his medical records. So... I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. He's not a doctor. So if a doctor wants to analyze a stroke and then you want to analyze whether he's going to get better as a voter to see if he's going to do the performance or is he basically hiring his wife to do it or his staff to be the senator? Here's Dr. Mark Siegel. He can't figure it out. Cup 14. He flat out said again, I'm not releasing my health records. You have transparent letters from doctors. Well, look, doctors are not that transparent in letters, and that's very vague. And I want to know the specifics of why he not only would have problems expressing himself at that debate with Dr. Oz, and not only have problems hearing, but he seemed to have problems with comprehension. He seemed to have problems juggling things at once, possibly impacting decision-making. So I want to see the MRI. I want to see what a neurologist wrote in the medical records. We know he has a bad heart. He's actually said that his stroke came from a blood clot from an irregular heart rhythm. I want to see the cardiologist record. I want to see the echo. Look, he's showing great courage here by coming forward. But there's another issue here, which is what about the voters of Pennsylvania? What do they deserve? (laughs) They, They deserve full disclosure. They deserve transparency. They deserve someone who is fit to serve. So using one of those monitors that translates for him so he can read because he has trouble processing, according to him, the language. Feel bad for him. But anyone who cared for him said you shouldn't run. Should have turned it over to the other guy who probably would have been much better, uh, Connor Lamb, would definitely have been given. Uh, he definitely has a moderate, somewhat, somewhat of a moderate. He would have been given a certainly better on his feet 
and I think he's a veteran too. He would have given Dr. Oz a better run. Here's John Fetterman, cut 13, a, a question that Don Lemon has to really what Dr. Siegel was just asking, cut 13. And listen, I, I'm asking the question for the voters because then voters may, may wonder, is there a reason that you don't want your doctors to take questions? That's why I keep asking this stuff. No, I, I just I just believe that we have our doctors uh, just weigh in on that, and and they believe that I'm fit uh, to, fit fit to serve, and that's that's a point uh, that was compatible uh, made in in June and compatible here just in October, and you know I cho- choose the uh, you know my real doctors composed to some of the criticism from like uh, you know like a real Dr. Oz uh, that's just trying to weaponized uh, somebody that just, you know, had a, uh, had a, a stroke. What does that even mean? Dr. Oz is a real doctor. They keep saying phony doctor. He's an elite heart surgeon who was a guest on Oprah and got a show. Dr. Phil, a great guest on Oprah, actually helped her with a court case and got a show. And they end up, I mean, I think 18 years for Dr. Phil. I thought just as long for Dr. Oz. I mean, is Dr. Phil a phony doctor because he's on TV? I don't, I don't even understand that. Is, I mean, uh, it, do, it doesn't make any sense to me, that attack, a phony doctor. He was able to ask intelligent questions, lifestyle, as well as uh, technical. Whether When the pandemic, I thought he had some of his best shows. So you can attack him as a phony doctor. Just check out his record. You can't. No one will check out your record, and you deny the things that you used to support. You've totally reversed. I just think the people of Pennsylvania— Uh, are not going to go for this guy. I can't believe the polls show they're even. Tell me where I'm wrong. I'm definitely going to find out for myself because uh, Friday I'll be in Stroudsburg at a great event for veterans. Just check me out on briankillme.com. And Saturday, I hope everybody lines up in Scranton, Pennsylvania at 1 o'clock at Barnes & Noble. So I'll see you there. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, you're right. J.D. Uh, Vance never won a Heisman, but uh, no one ever accused my friend in Georgia of ever writing, less known reading a book. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it kind of balances well, That's the issue. There's so much off. talk about John Fetterman and whether or not he's fit to serve after having a stroke and can he talk. Right. Has anyone interviewed Herschel Walker and listened to him on the issues? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, spent a day and a half with him, been uh, a bunch of times, and he's probably one of the brighter guys you'll meet. Uh, what do you mean, Herschel Walker, read a book? Because he's an athlete? I mean, you got to see, check out his grades. I mean, in some cases, I think they overstated about valedictorians, who know valedictorian, but he was up at the echelon of his class. You see what he's done in business? 
I mean, what has Al Sharpton done? Al Sharpton sits there and, and raises money after getting in front of people that have experienced some type of tragedy or claim to be. I mean, I, just, I also don't understand, too. I have, if someone is saying things that aren't bright or offensive, say it. But for the longest time, if you're going to co- comment on a minority's intellect, you are being racist. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's totally okay to mock Herschel Walker because I guess he's an athlete and looks like he can crush half the population with his bare hands. I don't know. Uh, I don't understand what the issue is. They don't seem to have a problem with The Rock because uh, The Rock, who I thought leaned right, might be more acceptable uh, to Democrats. Uh, so uh, we have a lot to discuss today. I didn't really talk about the oil wars yet. I did speak to Mike Mansfield from Mansfield Oil this morning. We did speak to an expert yesterday. Uh, we are running out of diesel fuel, and it's rocketing up. Why? Because of refinery power, not because of record profits from oil and gas companies. And it never windfall taxes have never worked in the past. We tried that in the 80s, in the 70s. It was an absolute disaster. That's what the president's turning to now. Greg, listening on the TuneIn app in Pennsylvania. Uh, also, I got an email from Mary. Mary says, school buses use diesel. F- uh, fire engines, kids will have no... Uh, We'll have no school if the supply runs out. Don't think parents are aware of the problems it could cause for them. That's true because evidently we don't have – we have 25 days of diesel fuel left. Hey, Greg. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Hey, you know, uh, I think it's funny. You notice that there's not too many Biden-Harris uh, bumper stickers anymore. You know, they, they've come off now. I, I think that in Pennsylvania we have to vote with our brain and not with our emotions. You know, a lot of times the vote for the Biden was because they didn't like Trump. And we, we need to really be smart about this because our country is at stake here. And, you know, someone like Mehmet Oz, who has written as an author or co-author over 50, you know, uh, medical articles, is a brilliant guy. I know, he is. I mean, you can't... Right? Why, why, Brian, why would we not want to put him, a brilliant man who's been a winner? He's, 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 he is highly recognized at a, as a cardiovascular surgeon. He's had success in making that transition. And, and he's a winner, and he'll fight for us. How about Ben Carson? Ben Carson, they mocked Ben Carson. He was one of the world's top five brain surgeons for, 40, for 35 years. And they said that this guy was incompetent. They mocked him. And the only thing they got they have against Oz is he moved from New Jersey. Hillary moved from where? Arkansas to New York? Right. In like, order to run. And everyone elected her. You know, why would we not want to put a brilliant person to represent us who has the loyalty to represent us? And, you know, I know this is crazy, but Joe Biden may go down as one of the worst presidents ever to serve behind Buchanan and Andrew Johnson. He may be the worst on that list. Why would he not want to turn things around? We don't put politicians in to to, to make excuses. We put them in to change and make it yeah, work. And not, and not go by the party's ideology. Even if you're a Republican, you got to do what works and is going to be effective. Instead, he's out there blaming people, whether it's Saudi Arabia, uh, whether it's Republicans or MAGA extremists.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are Democrats who feel like the party has gone too, too far left. Democrats who might register Democrat because they want their vote to matter, voting for the most normal person, if there is a normal person in a primary. Uh, there are Democrats who want safe streets. They oppose congestion pricing. They oppose COVID vaccine mandates. There's a reason why New Yorkers are heading down to Florida. They see that Governor DeSantis down in Florida respects freedom. He's reversed attacks on wallets, on safety. He is someone who is just welcoming businesses, individuals, and family to have an American dream down there. And unfortunately, everyone's gone. And the bad news for Governor DeSantis is that he's about to lose his best real estate agent. Uh, she's going to be fired one week from today. Uh, and that was Elise Eldon appearing with Governor DeSantis and their buddies from Congress. And as much as their buddies, he wouldn't be, Governor DeSantis wouldn't have come Saturday night. They wouldn't have done a joint appearance yesterday if he wasn't close. Glenn Youngkin would not have been there Monday if they didn't think there was a historic thing, uh, chance to get back to Governor's Mansion over in Albany. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism, his latest column, Suburban Women Breaking the GOP's Way. And Rich is not a cheerleader. He's just doing the reporting and the, and the opinion. Rich, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Uh, first well, off, I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of a cheerleader. Well, I know where you stand, but you you would never say suburban women are breaking the Republicans' way if they weren't. Yeah, no, that's that was a stunning finding in this Wall Street Journal poll. Twenty-six point swing among suburban women from August until now. Sign that the the abortion message just flamed out. It's not working, and the the economy is uh, an inflation and crime are the overwhelming issues, and suburban women care about that as much as anyone. And Governor Hochul coming out, for example, in New York and saying, "What is the big crime? Is not the big thing that we're handling it." Essentially, why why is he so fixated on it? And then she was asked to, uh, to, to further qualify it. She says, I meant murders and shootings are down. And that's the main thing. They're yeah. down 14% from last year, but not from 2019. They're still yeah, way still up. Elevated. Still elevated. Yeah, she's she's in serious jeopardy. I mean, you're right. You wouldn't have these uh, the, these big time governors coming in to New York. They didn't think there was a chance, and Democrats wouldn't be spending desperately in New York if they didn't think there was a there was a chance. If she could lose, if, if Zeldin's just anywhere close to her, which um, all indications are he is, then these competitive congressional districts, and there there are a number of them in in New York, uh, Republicans are ahead in those. So everything now is just pointing to to a big Republican wave. You know, I was just looking at the generic ballot. Uh, Republicans in the RCP average are up 2.9. That's higher than it was in 2014 when it was 2.4. So this the the only thing that's going to diminish the House gains is the fact that they gained 12 or 13 uh, in 2020. Otherwise, you know, 53, 54 Senate seats is is realistic and, you know, high 20s in the House. Right. And they just talk about what's happening in Oregon where there could be a Republican governor. They talk about Tiffany Smiley moving in in Washington on Patty Murray. And they talk on Blake Masters moving on uh, moving in on Kelly. We mentioned Zeldin uh, moving up, too. And now Governor Whitmer looked as an up and coming star in, in Michigan. Uh, she's having the fight of her life. Yep. Uh, right now with Tudor Dixon. 
Yep. So one thing the House guys or Republican House guys have talked about for weeks now is how this kind of weird disparity that the, um, you know, in, in red states, they're kind of Biden plus five, maybe plus eight districts are competitive. But you look at these blue states, Oregon, California, New York, Biden plus 20 seats are vulnerable. And it's just because in those states, people have uh, experienced progressive mono government for so long and think, think it has desperately failed and have felt it personally that they're, they're just ready to go. They're ready for change. That's why we're talking about, you know, Republicans potentially picking up um, a governorship in Oregon. You know, we just talked about Zeldin. Um, and uh, it, so, so this and, and everything's tightening up, you know, uh, Zeldin and um, Tudor Dixon and Whitmer in Michigan. If, if Whitmer went down, it would just be such a rebuke to covid um, overreach. I mean, she made herself, uh, perhaps besides Anthony Fauci and a couple others, the foremost symbol of that during the pandemic. And um, she, she, you know, she said schools are just closed down three months. You know, obviously flagrant falsehood in one of these debates, and she's in real jeopardy. Right. So is that part of the reason? What do you think the reason is for the sub- for women, suburban women, to shift? Uh, I, I will never forget who locked you down because I was in New mm-hmm. York and. Uh, I have a house in Florida, too, and I watch people escape to Florida. I watch people, uh, you know, when you land in New York, they would quickly inspect and they uh, want you to uh, – you have the National Guard there. I talked to business owners who said they were stormed by inspectors on a regular basis just trying to catch a cook with a mask down. Are people actually – people are not going to forget this, and that's what my sense is. And it doesn't matter if it's New York. It doesn't matter if it's Michigan. It doesn't matter if it's Oregon. Ultimately, we don't we don't live and die being Republican and Democrat. We're making our judgment on people are affecting our lives. They were affecting our lives. Yep, it's clearly as part of the backdrop. But you know, it was the backdrop in, in August. So what wh- why is what's happening now? And I just think it's economy and the inflation, which were important in August, but are more important now. People say they're higher on their list of concerns, and they feel worse about them and more alarmed about them. And crime has has become a more prominent issue the last couple of months. So I think that's a fundamental driver. But yeah, your your, your kid was screwed by a school shutdown. You're not going to forget that. And this is one of the reasons. It's just so idiotic. The idea, you know, Biden went down to Florida yesterday and he had all these anonymous quotes from White House officials. This is part of this closing message. You know, he's he's using these these mega mega Republicans all over the place in Florida as the, the backdrop for his closing message. DeSantis is going to win by double digits. You know, Ron DeSantis won election the first time around by 0.4 percent. Uh, uh, Rick Scott won his reelection f- four years prior by one percent. Th- this is just unheard of. Uh, Florida is part of the mainstream of America. You can't demonize anymore DeSantis's response on things like school closures. He's obviously, obviously been vindicated and just another sign of a, a desperate White House that exists in a bubble. Right. Uh, and again, they're going after oil and gas companies. While we all know they vilified fossil fuel, and we see the text message from John Kerry, the climates are talking about how through an executive order, Biden will get rid of and destroy the coal industry. Really? Isn't that nice? Here's Joe Biden yesterday in Miami, cut 27. Because of the actions we've taken, gas prices are coming down here at home. They're down $1.25. I've just passed the gas station on the way, $3.25 when it was five bucks when I took off this summer. By the way, what's he talking about? He took off. It was $5 <laughs> under him. Now he goes on to find somebody else to blame. Meanwhile, we're running out of diesel fuel, and we know the price is at 372 cut 28. Here's the deal. It's a difficult time. 
Americans across the country have stepped up and are doing the right thing, but not everyone. The oil industry is not doing the right thing. They haven't met their commitment to invest in America and support the American people. One by one, major oil companies have reported their profits for the last two quarters. I mean, profits so high, it's hard to believe. So the, now he wants a windfall profit tax on an industry he vilified. Yeah, I mean, the idea that he's hitting them for not investing when his whole approach was running them out of, out of business. And these are investments that don't pay off, you know, a month later. They, they take an enormous time to uh, build this infrastructure. And then you, you want it to, you know, it has to pay off 10 years from now. And, and he's saying the fossil fuel industry will be gone basically 10 years from now. So, of course, they're not investing. And, yeah, when the price goes up, uh, they, they're more profitable. But let, let them pump more. And the price will go down, you know, and, and everyone will be happy. But th- this is just a, another example of he has nothing good to say on inflation, on any of this stuff. The policy choices he's made deliberately have made it worse. He's, he's not willing to reverse course, and he's going to get a, a huge rebuke in a week. We're about to find out, too. So with the Walker-Warnock debate, it seems like all the controversies that come out, Walker, he kind of walks through them. Uh, according mm-hmm. to the latest poll, he's percentage points up. Uh, another poll has them one or two down, but if they don't get 50, they'll do a runoff again. So, uh, you know, they're going after him on SNL. They're going after him on The View. Everyone's talking about how this black guy is dumb. Uh, and dumb as rocks, I think uh, Jimmy Kimmel said, rattling in his head. When did it be okay to to go after people and just call them dumb who are minorities? When when you have a black Republican who who might win a Senate seat that conceivably could uh, affect whether the, the control of the Senate, th- then it's okay. You know, then all bets are off. And look, these allegations we talked about at the time, there there are two ways it could go. It could, it could have been the straw that broke the camel's back, or it could just be part of the the noise around him. It's clearly been the latter. He was great in that debate. If he's an, if he's an idiot, uh, Warnock's a double idiot because he lost that debate <laughs> clearly uh, on on substance to Herschel. Walker and Brian Kemp's going to win, you know, uh, six to ten points over Stacey Abrams. If he if he wins, if his margin's seven or above, Walker's winning without a without a runoff. Um, so so uh, that he he's he's I think he's going to win one way or the other. So the question is just whether there's a runoff or not. Fascinating what's going on in New Hampshire. I don't know if you have here Don Bulldog, who had about three hundred thirty thousand dollars. He had he had Mitch McConnell pull the money. Uh, and first, now you have Schumer poured money in to make sure he won the primary. Uh, and then Donald Trump didn't endorse until yesterday because he wanted to stay out of it. Sununu, we know, didn't want him. But then he said, you know, I'll, if he wins, I'm going to support him. So here's now he is within the margin of error. Yep. Some have him up, up against Maggie Hassan. Here he is last night. Cut 21. We're working harder than she is. We're everywhere that she is not. She does Zoom calls and all these other things. She's not working hard enough, and she just has voted the wrong way for the last six years, and it's hurt Granite Staters and uh, Americans, and now it's coming to roost. This, to me, reminds me of Scott Brown. I I heard this from Mm -hmm. our reporters. He goes everywhere, doesn't have much of a posse, has a uh, goes around with his dog, has an appearance, shakes hands, and keeps going. And and I watched him with the debate for about a half hour. They were actually sitting side by side. It was bizarre. And he did great on all these issues. 
Yeah, you, you were saying this a month ago, Brian, and I was skeptical. I, I never should have doubted you. N- never doubt How dare you? me. That, that's, that's the rule. I, I didn't see any evidence of it. But then about uh, a week or two ago, a guy at the NRSC was like, we have a poll, internal poll, that has them down just two. And then that afternoon, McConnell, the McConnell people announced they're pulling the money. And I was like, what? That, that doesn't make any sense. And the NRC, NRSC puts more in. Uh, I think Heritage, some other folks have put, put them in. And this is the, the, uh, the stretch race, I think, that Republicans are likeliest to win, you know, Washington, Colorado, New Hampshire are this kind of states where you need a wave to make it happen. And uh, I, I think that this is the likeliest of those three. I'm not ruling out the other two, but this is the likeliest of those three. And, and we're seeing it, you know, there, there's a wave and New Hampshire kind of is a swingy state and Hassan is a non-entity. So it's, it's quite plausible Balda could do this. So let's just look at this, Rich. And I think you've been very fair with uh, the former president. Let's look at some of the candidates. Blake Masters is extremely talented. Herschel Walker's done better than almost anyone thought he was. Uh, Bolduc now gets an endorsement late, but he was, he was uh, so-called, thought the election was thrown towards Trump in the beginning. Tudor Dixon is fantastic. I think Carrie Lake is the star of this campaign uh, so far that I've seen, an emerging star that's going to be around forever. I think she's going to be really tough on the border. I think there's no doubt she's going to win. Tiffany Smiley has been extremely talented. If she mm-hmm. doesn't win, she's going to be extremely close. Trump picked some really good candidates, and they've done better than almost anyone thought. Yeah, so the conventional wisdom was the the candidate choices were were bad, and all these allegedly bad candidates might, as you point out, might win. I, the top of the list there is Carrie Lake. I just thought she was a, a suicidal choice. I thought she was the equivalent of Doug Masterino, which who proves to have been a really bad choice in reality in Pennsylvania. But she's just a star, you know. She's she's been on TV for more than 20 years, so she has just amazing communication skills. She's unflappable. She claps back at the the media. And her message, you know, I watched the, the entirety of the Tulsi Gabbard rally she had. She didn't talk about the 2020 election at all. You know, she talked about water issues. She talked about education. She talked about the economy. So you're a voter out there. You know her from TV. Yeah. And then you actually listen to what you're saying. And you're like, this person isn't crazy. And, and I, I, I like her. She's appealing. And that's just a big part of uh, big part of politics, obviously, is being appealing. So she's going to win that race and could be an enormous star. And you know, there's always been chatter about it. I've written a column about it. She'll, she'll be near the top of, of Trump's potential Veep choices, assuming he wins the nomination himself. A couple of things. Uh, Mastriano, you're right. I, I think he, you know, he, he's a smart guy, but he's, he does not have any uh, power behind him. Uh, he does not have any resonance. He's going to lose by about eight points. It makes it tougher on Dr. Oz because you've got to switch ballots. You have to cross. Uh, and Bill Blake Masters could be helped by Carrie Lake. Maybe Oz might be hurt by uh, Doug Mastriano, who's not going to do too well. But overall, in the big picture, I want all the voters out there, if you have a problem, say something, and it can work. There was a problem in Pennsylvania where these unsolicited ballots were sent out, and they were, it was uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Ronna McDaniel came out and challenged it legally, and it turns out all those ballots are going to be uh, excessed. They're going to be pulled, mm-hmm. pulled back. Any problems, get it off now, because I think you agree, Rich. We have to accept elections. It's up to you to do your research. Absolutely. Get get out there. Do the work. um, Bird dog it if necessary, as Brian says. But um, um, these elections aren't going to be – you want to make it – the margin's too big for it to be stolen. You know, (laughs) that's that's what what, uh, could happen in a wave year like this. 
He's uh, Rich Larry. Rich, uh, thanks so much. He, some of his columns. We we have suburban women breaking GOP's way in New York. We've got a problem. Uh, no, democracy is not on the ballot, and cynical Democrats know it. But it is something of concern for most voters. So Rich tackles it all uh, in the Nash Review. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Talk soon. Hey, we come back. I open up the phones. I see you up there, one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. J.D. Vance had gotten rich, and he did, mocking his own people. Do you know how people, and I've been to Georgia twice, how people in the black community feel that this is the yeah, example you put up to our children? Yeah. Right? It really is condescending. And only a Donald Trump, <clears throat> who yeah. sees everybody as pawns that he moves around. Right. Because I remember when he was partnering with Don King, I was there and putting boxes in the ring, and it didn't matter whether they would go to bed. Let's just match this, because I got to fill the Atlantic City Convention Center. He had the country. That's how he threw Herschel into this about with a man who is erudite, qualified, and educated. Just throw a black in there. My guy used to be on the football team I own, Herschel. And and it's insulting to blacks and whites in Georgia. What's he talking about? Because Donald Trump likes the guy for 35 years. He endorses him because he's a black guy. Nothing to do with Donald, Donald Trump, for better or for worse, has no idea what color you are. It doesn't sink into him. William, listen to Don WTRC in Indiana. Hey, William. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. You know, there's so many different things that I want to talk about. But um, when you were talking about Risa, when we were listening to uh, Biden talking about, um, uh, you know, the gas prices and exactly what he what he was talking about when I took off at the summer, I had no idea about what he was referring to, as you'd mentioned as well. But the worst part about it is, is that he has the general public, the American public's attention, and there's so many people that believe what he's saying. So it's ironic because of the fact that nobody, there's so many people that I talk to that say, well, yeah, I don't really listen to a lot of news, but they'll watch the nightly news and they pick this up and then they believe that this is the true fact. So so uh, you got to believe what you got to believe. you got to do your research and check the source. Uh, and that's why I, I play a lot of clips to hear people in their own voice and their own words. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 This hour, we've got a big hour coming your way. we got uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire standing by and Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour. And remember, you can always get the podcast on BrianKilmeadeShow.com, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you feel more comfortable. And also, kind of excited, Abilene, Texas will be officially on there uh, sh- soft, uh, shortly. Uh, Monday through Friday will be uh, 8, to li- 8 to 11 local time there. News Talk, 1560, Abilene, the talk of the town. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Venezuelan migrants essentially rushed the border in El Paso. You're going to see a line of Border Patrol agents start pushing those migrants back into the water into Mexico. And those border agents were armed with paintball guns. Now, why did they do that? CBP says some of these migrants attacked the Border Patrol agents. Ah, the horror at the border as Venezuelan stormed the border and tried to overwhelm agents. What's this, the Gaza Strip? Not a word from the CBP. Not a word from management. Not a word from this federal government to support those people who are overwhelmed on a daily basis. Number two. The oil industry is not doing the right thing. They haven't met their commitment to invest in America and support the American people. Oil wars, not with OPEC Plus, but with the American energy and oil and gas companies. That's the president's approach to the diesel shortage and oil and gas prices. In truth, he and his administration should shoulder the bulk of the blame. On November 8th, we'll see if he pays the price at the ballot box. Number one. The latest Fox News power ranking shows Republicans with 49 possible seats in the Senate, Democrats 47, four races we call toss-ups. The House forecast is 223 Republican with 186 Democrat, 26 are still in that toss-up column. And that is uh, the last power rankings before the big day, six days in counting. And Republicans are closing in everywhere. While many Senate races remain too close to call, we have the closing messages from all about the final uh, the final push to win the ultimate poll. And that's the election results. With us right now is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News contri- medical contributor, author of Panic Attack. Uh, welcome, Dr. Sapphire. Welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, no problem. So Dr. Sapphire was just struck by this Atlantic story that said, hey, let's just forget, forgive and forget when it comes to the pandemic, that you kept your kids out of school, that you had to wear masks when they did get in school, uh, the people that got closed down because or got fined $5,000 because their lead cook didn't have their mask up or some people got up and went to the bathroom without a, a mask on, they got fined. All these things that happen in these states that clamp down. Should we forgive and forget? Wasn't that an interesting article, Brian? You know, first of all, uh, you know, I think there is a role for forgiving and forgetting when it comes to people getting some things wrong, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic. But let's be honest, that's not what this article is talking about. This this article is talking about the people who continued to get it wrong over and over again after we started seeing that these measures didn't necessarily have an effect on transmission and reducing hospitalizations and deaths. Um, and the fact that people suffered because of these policies, like where is the apology in mea culpa? We can't just erase it. And the part that, to be honest, that floored me was I actually saw Randy Weingarten, the union president, teachers union president. She she tweeted out something in support for this article. I'm like, yeah, well, if I were Randy Weingarten, too, and I have destroyed the lives of thousands of children, maybe millions of children across the country, I'd be seeking amnesty, too. So this is what she tweeted out. The bottom line is, this is what she tweeted out, uh, Randy Weingarten. Uh, The bottom line is everyone suffered in the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, the disruption was everywhere, and it was bad regardless of whether schools were remote or in person. We are focused now on the urgent need to help kids recover and thrive. Number one, come up with a plan with that. I don't need your random thoughts. Number two, you're not forgiven because there are seniors that never had a senior year for no reason. Uh, There were kids playing sports with masks outdoors, which did absolutely nothing, or they didn't play at all. They'll never get back again. Then when you allow kids to go back to school, after the teachers got vaccinated, you still made these kids wear masks. You have young kids and older kids, uh, Nicole. So 
this it is not forgive and forget. And to me, they haven't learned anything. No, Randy Weingarten says that everyone suffered. That's not true. Yes, kids and their family suffered. You know who didn't suffer? Randy Weingarten didn't suffer because she got to stay out of work for a long time, and they made a lot of money throughout the entire pandemic. They were having the ins with the CDC, and everything that they wanted to get done was essentially being done. We have the emails to show that they directly influenced policy. And yes, you had Randy Weingarten advocating against getting kids back in school before the vaccine was available. Then we prioritized teachers so that they could be vaccinated before other people to try and get kids back in school. And she was still advocating against kids being back in school. So no, she does not deserve amnesty in my opinion, and she needs to go. Right. Uh, what about the kids? That, there's a huge difference between kids that were uh, remote and in school. That, that, I mean, when you were at Zoom, I, I know a lot of kids personally said, I didn't learn one thing. Well, yeah, well, that's that's what every kid is saying. But actually, now we have the objective evidence to prove it. You have metric after metric coming out that's showing that children, the nine-year-olds, anywhere from fifth and above, they were, they're all doing significantly poorly in math, reading, English, and many of the other core subjects. They have lost decades of learning. We have gone way back in time because of the pandemic policies. And unfortunately, the Democrats continue to say they talk about equity and making sure there's equal opportunity. And let's not forget, the teachers union gives millions of dollars to Democratic campaigns every single year. But what happened during COVID? COVID you widened. You widened that that disparity already because the people who could afford it, who kept their kids in private school, they continued to go to school. And so those kids are going to be okay. The children who are not going to be okay are those who are in lower income and could not afford to have extra help in forms of tutoring or private education. And they were at the mercy of the teachers union. So let's talk about this. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. If you're vaccinated, there's no danger of you getting it or spreading it. That ended up being wrong. And instead of it being a 92% chance, it's around in the 50s now, correct? That's so absolutely right. But when the vaccine first came out, you had the drug companies showing data from two to four weeks following vaccination, about 100% ability to decrease transmission. That's great. And that's why it was everyone was very optimistic that this may actually decrease the transmission. Well, it became readily apparent as new variants were coming out and as time after vaccination you know, happened that the ability to decrease transmission went to now with Omicron and after 20 weeks after the original vaccine, the ability to transmit to stop transmission is virtually zero. So for the president and, you know, you had media personalities and just other people saying, you know, fear mongering and going against out of the people saying that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It is truly unfair. And if you want to talk about what has divided our country, that is certainly something that did. So uh, so a couple of things are going on right now. The president's up to five shots. I think he's on his last booster. What do you say to people who are reluctant to get the booster, which I think is 95 percent of the country? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's okay to pause and question things right now. So the last two boosters that the president got in the spring and summer, those were the old booster. They were based off of the original variant. 
the newest booster that has just come out is called the bivalent booster, and that has is tailored against the original variant, but also the Omicron variant. So in theory, it is supposed to offer increased protection against the currently circulating Omicron variant. Unfortunately, we don't necessarily have the data that shows us one way or the other what this will do. We know from a small mouse study and some small studies that it will boost antibody response, but what does that translate into? Well, if you look at the prior data, it says, well, maybe there's a short-lived ability to prevent infection, but that's probably less than a month. Um, and does it further decrease their risk of hospitalization and death? We don't really know. The people who are still being hospitalized and dying tend to be the highest risk. Yes, if they're unvaccinated, they have a higher risk, but still, even if they're vaccinated and boosted, because of their high risk being elderly or comorbidities, they're still having a higher hospitalization rate than the general population. So when it comes to who should be getting this updated bivalent booster, I think it should be risk-based. I think those who are considered highest risk, those over the age of 65, maybe severe medical conditions, you know, those are the ones who should talk to their doctor about getting this updated booster. When it comes to the general population, the far majority of us have already been infected with either the Delta or Omicron variant and probably have a good amount of circulating immunity. I heard about that. It's controversial, as you know. So we'll see what happens. Uh, what about these people that lost their jobs because they didn't want to get vaccinated? We know the athletes are back playing. Uh, we know that uh, I know people are out back in this building. What about the nurses that were told you're fired and the teachers were told to go home and the twenty to 40,000 uh, service members who were told get out? Well, unfortunately, I, I believe that, one, I don't think they should have been fired in the first place, especially from these academic institutions who are supposed to truly know the science, not just listen to their local legislators. Um, but I think that uh, jobs should be reoffered, and I think, you know, back pay should be instituted, whether or not they can afford it, I don't know. But, you know, this was a huge, a huge mistake. And, you know, Brian, you're the first person I've told this to, but at my for me, because I don't have a, an up-to-date booster, I have to be tested every single week just to show up to work. And that's based on New Jersey Democrat Governor Phil Murphy's policy, that if you don't have an up-to-date booster, you have to have weekly testing just to go to work. But what I find highly ironic is that all of my immediate colleagues who are all up-to-date with their boosters, they have all been out with COVID in the last several months. And I've had to, you know, take away from my administration and research time and even take some of my days off and go in to cover for them because they had COVID. Meanwhile, I have to still produce a test to go to work every day. I mean, it's just asinine at this point. Uh, absolutely. So lastly, just about John Fetterman and his condition, uh, you know, people have uh, feel bad. You have a stroke. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but for some reason he's not letting his medical records out. Here's a little of the exchange. You saw the debate. You saw at least clips of it. And you could tell me in a second what you think or what you know uh, without seeing his records. But he was pressed on CNN about not letting his medical records out. Cut 13. And listen, I, I'm asking the question for the voters because then voters may, ask, may wonder, is there a reason that you don't want your doctors to take questions? That's why I keep asking this. No, oh, I, I, just, I just believe that we have our doctors uh, just weigh in on that. And, and they believe that I'm fit, uh, to, fit, fit to serve. And that's that's a point uh, that was compatible uh, made in, in June and compatible here just in October. And, you know, I cho choose the, uh, you know, my real doctors composed to some of the criticism from like, uh, you know, like a real Dr. Oz uh, that's just trying to weaponize uh, somebody that just, you know, had a, uh, had a stroke. So 
What do you think? Why do you think he's not telling us? Just letting instead of a doctor saying, "Here's a statement that he can run." What What would we see in that? What would a doctor see in that that could be concerning? Well, Brian, first of all, you know, I respect people's right to medical privacy, and I don't. I'm not calling for every um, political candidate to release their medical records. But the Fetterman campaign has made his health a talking point in his campaign, especially because of the lack of transparency regarding the stroke and the subsequent sequela of that stroke that he is still suffering from. Uh, when it comes to these notes that Dr. Fetterman or that Fetterman has put out from his doctors, these are not medical records. They're essentially full of hyperbole that has come out and saying, uh, John Fetterman. He's, he's good to go. He's healthy as can be. He's taking some meds. We don't know which ones. We don't know what for, but good to go. They don't even talk about what his needs for um, the disability that continues to linger. Um, and so it leaves us with more questions than answers. And so if they're going to talk about his health, they need to be fully transparent. I mean, it was blatantly obvious as we watch the debate that not only does he have this processing disorder, meaning he has to read from the closed captioning system, but he clearly has what's called an aphasia, difficulty speaking as well. Sometimes it comes out the wrong words or stumbling sentence. And so he will require um, he will require some things as he heads into the Senate. But unfortunately, when you are a politician, you are not always going to be well equipped with closed captioning and other things to help with these disabilities. And personally, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, my husband is an endovascular neurosurgeon, a stroke specialist. So I know that for his patients, he, he harps on so hard that the most important thing following a stroke is they need to be in aggressive therapy if they want any chance to maximize their recovery. You can't be undergoing the rigors of the campaign. And then once you get into the Senate, it's not like it's smooth sailing. It continues to be heavy stress. And all that does is put him at an increased risk for recurrent stroke, as well as may mm-hmm. hinder his recovery from this one. I just think for the party and for his family to have him f- uh, keep going like this is not in his best interest. Clearly, he's not in good shape physically. Uh, he wasn't going in. And he's, his performance has been hideous. He doesn't talk to people. His, but that was the worst debate performance ever. He's incapable of doing better. It's hard to imagine he can do the job. It's a job interview, and he failed. Uh, and I, feel, I wish him the best. But if you're going to be a public figure, you've got to be able to speak uh, and he, and, uh, effectively and persuade and understand. And there's no proof he has, which to me would be disqualifying, but I'm not in Pennsylvania. Dr. Sapphire, always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I see your numbers up there, 1-866-408-7669 or briankillme.com. Click on comments. It comes right to me. And don't forget, I'm going to be in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Saturday, 1 o'clock, Barnes & Noble. I hope to see you there. You listen to Brian signing the President of Freedom Fighter, I should add, uh, with brand new information on it, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and their battle to save America's soul. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What Fox News does is they ignore, like, the 75% of my show, which is critical of the things that they would believe, Mm -hmm. and then they just show the thing that they agree with. Now, it, it is true. People say to me sometimes, you know, you make fun of the left more than you used to. Yes, because they're nuttier than they used to be. And that's what Fox News leaps on. I mean, my show is a debate show yep. where it tries to you know, hear both sides and present both sides. And there is a lot 
on the left that needs criticism these days. I don't think it's a great thing that America is in its silos where it only hears the thing it already believes. This is not the way this country is going to heal itself, yeah. by only listening to what it already knows. And I think when historians look yeah. back, and we are we are going to go down, I think, they're going to blame a lot of, first of yeah. all, the phone, the fact that you can just listen and hear only what you already know. So that is uh, this true. I don't, there's nothing that he said was a surprise, but it's good to hear uh, that Bill Maher weighing in. Bottom line is, just a guy that, to to say some of the things that we've observed as wacky and not ideological is reassuring to a lot of people. Uh, uh, women, uh, transsexuals should not be playing women's sports. Mark, WHIO. Hey, Mark. Morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. What's on your mind? I, I heard you say earlier, talking to the doctor, that... Um, uh, people are being fired, you know, because they refuse the vaccination and things like that. And nurses, doctors, people, all, all kind of people, uh, first responders. And I literally just heard this morning on the local news that um, there's the, the wait times in, in hospitals and doctors' offices and everything are increasing because we don't have the staff to take care of it. Again, this goes back to the government overreach Yep. that fired people. For no reason. I know him personally. Nurses uh, told to get out, uh, you know, uh, because of the vaccine. Yeah, we'll discuss it. I'll get to some more of your calls. But uh, coming up next, Josh Rogan will bring us inside our challenges with China. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. One of our favorite all-time guests is queued up. Uh, Josh Rogan, author of Chaos Under Heaven, President Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century, Washington Post columnist. Josh Rogan, welcome back. Hey, Brian, long time no speak. How are you? I know. So I thought about you, too, uh, last week, or was it the week before, when President Xi takes total power, but yet you all know the players, and you break down your columns, who's up and who's down and why, First off, uh, we know they're our chief rival. We know that their goal was to supplant us economically and militarily. What changes now? Well, you know, Brian, when I went to college, the first day of the first course of International Affairs 101, the first thing they teach you is absolute power corrupts absolutely. When you have a, a leader or a leadership that is totalitarian, in other words, they've it's not like a regular authoritarian regime where they've got a bunch of crooks running the place. It's one guy who has assumed so much power that he controls the government, the military, society. He can dictate what the people read and eat and whether they get to leave their house. That's bad. That's really bad. That's always really bad. One, because it turns that person into a super evil character every single time throughout history. And two, because it subjects all of those people and all the people in the countries around the world that are affected by China uh, to that person's whims. And in this case, that person is Xi Jinping. And just looking at what happened in that 20th Party Congress should be pretty alarming uh, because not only did he uh, coronate himself emperor for life, a third unprecedented term, destroying the system of checks and balances such as it was, uh, he purged the Politburo and the Standing Committee, the only other people who might have a say in what goes on in China, of anybody who even looked at him cross-eyed and promoted all of his cronies and 
uh, corrupt associates. Just for one example, Brian, he took the guy who ran that Shanghai lockdown for 60 days, that yeah. crazy two-month period where 26 million people were screaming and banging pots and pans, and they promoted that guy to be the second most powerful guy in China, the premier. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, I don't know what does. They don't care. It's not about competence. It's not about, uh, you know, communist, you know, uh, loyalty. It's about loyalty to Xi Jinping and his, uh, and uh, and obsequience to his whims. That's what we're dealing with, and that's a pretty dangerous scenario for China, for Taiwan, for the region, and for us. You believe it's all kind of, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, I got it. But one thing you would have is a clear message. This is what I'm doing. Everyone get on board. But you think it's going to look? It's going to come out to be a more reckless. Uh, it's going to be a more r- reckless right. foreign policy. Exactly. So first of all, I mean, I think this should put the nail in the coffin of this idea that we have a, a, a strat- should have a strategy of engagement and cooperation with China. That, for Since 1972, basically, you've got all of these people in Washington saying, OK, the way to approach China is through engagement and cooperation. Henry that sounds Kissinger. great, doesn't it? Henry Kissinger. Right. That sounds lovely. I, that sounds wonderful. Unfortunately, it's the Chinese have decided to go another way. That's not the strategy that they're going with and we have to respond but you know it's it's like gene kirkpatrick the old u.s ambassador to the u.n used to say you can you can deal with dictatorships but not totalitarian regimes they're not going to reform it's just not going to happen so what does that mean that means that we have to protect ourselves and we have to protect those things that we care about and if that includes taiwan that's great and we have to gear for a, a situation where if no one in the chinese system can tell xi jinping that he's wrong well, then, yeah, that's going to be really bad for them, too, because look at the zero COVID policy. Look at what he's doing to nationalize the economy. Look what he's doing to, you know, commit a genocide against the Uyghurs. All of these things are crazy, horrible things. But there's nobody in that system that would dare to even tell him that he's wrong. So that means even when they make terrible decisions like, hey, let's go invade Taiwan today, uh, the, 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 the rational minds can't prevail. So that's just the reality that we're living in. But Taiwan, the status quo is not going to work, you believe, of a President Xi. And they've, they've indicated that. Right. Well, so I just got back. I was in Taiwan for nine days, Brian. I met with the foreign minister. I went to the president's office. I met with a bunch of pro-democracy uh, groups and uh, leaders and human rights people. And, and then I went out to the visit with the military. I did a whole take of the place, okay? And there's two main takeaways. One is that, yeah, the situation is getting more and more dangerous, and not because the Taiwanese people are pushing for independence. They're not. And not because the war hawks and neocons and neolibs in Washington are pushing for a Cold War. That's not what, why the situ- status quo is changing. It's changing because Beijing is changing it, because on the Chinese side, they're no longer happy with it. They're pushing it. They're becoming more aggressive. They're telling Taiwan what to do in that 20th Party of Congress. They changed the constitution of China. To make it more hawkish on Taiwan. And now, is that our aggression when they change their constitution? Uh, someone going to come at me and say, oh, well, how dare the, the, the cold warriors in Washington do that? No, they changed the Chinese constitution to make it more aggressive towards Taiwan. So they're preparing for something. I don't know when. I don't know exactly what it's going to be. Uh, but they're getting ready to do something. OK, and we have to get ready on our side if we want to stop them from doing that something, which is to crush the Taiwanese democracy. So you look at how their expansion, the Solomon Islands, is significant. Uh, they, they all of a sudden are not hospitable to our ships. Uh, that's a problem. Number two, what we're seeing, too, is the Belt and Road Program expanding. But in many ways, has the Belt and Road Program underperformed? It's been very expensive, very costly. People can't make their payments. It's, it's not working as they thought. Is that correct? 
Right. No, it's a boondoggle, but it's a it's like a boondoggle that they're still throwing money at, you know, and it's sort of like they had this plan that if they just went around to all these countries offering them bridges and stadiums and stuff uh, that they could, you know, make nice with all of these uh, other governments. When they can't make the payments, you take their ports, you know, you take their airports and their you get you, you, you build them a stadium, you send them the bill. When they can't pay the bill, you take the stadium, you take the port, and all of a sudden it's full of Chinese ships and doing God knows what. And that's that that's the basic strategy. Now, again, lucky for us, they're not actually as good as they think they are because they, this thing is ripe with corruption. Some of these countries realized what they were getting into and they pulled out of it. And then the Chinese economy took a a tank because of the zero COVID policy. So they have less money to play with. Those are all own goals on their side. That's not a result of anything that we did. You know, if we were smart, what we do is we go to these countries and make them a better offer and bring in a bunch of American businesses to give them the stadiums and roads and ports that won't be under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. But anyway, we're not doing that. But the point is that uh, we're leaving these countries with no choice, take the bad port or, or nothing at all. And, you know, lucky for us that, that the Chinese are, uh, system is so corrupt and so bad that it's not even more successful than it is. And when it comes to the Solomon Islands thing, Brian, that's really crazy. Just think about the fact that all you hear from the Chinese government all day long is we're not expansionist. We don't have any. We're not like the U.S. We don't go around the world building bases. And then, boom, right as they're saying that, they signed a military agreement with a bunch of islands that's right off the coast of Australia. So, in other words, they're lying. Okay, they're what they're saying and what they're doing are two different things. And what they're actually doing is they're expanding all the time, and they're building a network of military bases around the world. Yeah, we have a network too, but you know we're the good guys. They're, you know, we're, we're, that's better than them having the network. Okay, either uh, there are a lot of people who are upset, uh, rightly so, with our overextension of the American national security system. I get that. Okay, I'm I'm not insensitive to that argument, Brian. I think that there's a debate to be had there, but. All I'm saying is, for one second, think of the alternative. Think of what happens when America pulls back from the world. All of a sudden, you've got Chinese military bases everywhere. What's that going to mean? We should at least think that through. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. So, and another thing they have is an alliance. They keep on reaffirming with Russia, and we see how Russia is underperforming and, and in some ways, in a panic about how bad they are and what a quandary they're in as they just arbitrarily rocket the infrastructure of Ukraine while losing every battle. And I think 3,000-plus square miles have been taken back already. Here's Admiral Stavidis and how it relates to China. Cut 40. If you're President Xi, you're asking yourself three things. Number one, are my generals as bad as those Russian generals appear to be? The answer is they were all trained in the same war colleges. They come out of the Soviet system. Number two, you're asking, I wonder if those Taiwanese will fight like hell the way mm. that the Ukrainians have. I think the answer is yes. I've been to Taiwan. I've met with the president, Madam Tsai. There's not much quit in the Taiwanese. And number three, you're asking yourself, if you're President Xi, hey, my economy is too big to sanction, right? Hmm. Well, maybe we could do some precision-guided sanctioning. Your thoughts on his thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I generally agree. The, the problem is that the Chinese are learning from what the Russians are doing wrong. And so when they, if they attack Taiwan, when they attack Taiwan, they're not going to make the same mistakes, okay? And that's what they're preparing for. So it's going to be much more difficult. Taiwan is a different country. They've got some natural advantages, but they don't have eight years of fighting in the Donbass like the Ukrainians had. They don't have a, a, a well-trained military, frankly, and they don't have the weapons they need to defend themselves. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, if we, if, we, if we have to make a decision, basically, in this country, are we going to do what's necessary to help Taiwan have a fighting chance? If, they, if they're going to fight, they're going to need a fighting chance. We're the only ones that can help them. And 
uh, I don't think we've made that decision, honestly. And I think we, we, we better start thinking about it hard. And, you know, yeah, the Ukraine war is the one that's on fire now. But, you know, this is coming. You know, the, the Xi Jinping is not going to let up. He's not going to change his mind. And, you know, if you're for peace, and I'm for peace, by the way, I'm not for war. If you're for peace, the best way to preserve the peace is to prepare for war. That's what George Washington taught us, that preparing for the war is the way to preserve the peace. That means arming the Taiwanese to the teeth now, before the attack, and we're not doing it. And so, yeah, I think the situation is getting more and more dangerous. You sound like Tom Cotton yesterday. This is exactly what his book is about. You, you armed in order not to fight because you won't have to. As soon as you show vulnerability, you're seeing the challenges we're getting right now. So uh, my guest right now is Josh Rogan of the Washington Post, fresh off his visit to Taiwan with already great knowledge of the region's got uh, more firsthand knowledge of what's happening. One of the big things was they took Hong Kong and with really not much out, uh, uproar from around the world. And they basically adapted this cas- uh, capitalistic island and they did it. You protest. We took you. We jailed you. And the world went on. We actually created a concentration camp with the Uyghurs, and we're still dealing with them. You're even dealing with America. The question is, is the CHIPS Act a step in the right direction as we try to bring some uh, microchips home and manufacturing home that Joe Biden passed? Right. No, I think the Hong Kong thing is really important to mention because it, we taught Xi Jinping a lesson that he can – perpetrate aggression and the world will look away. And we didn't help the people in Hong Kong. And you could say, okay, well, that's technically part of China. Fine. But Taiwan is not, okay, at least not for the moment. So if, if we don't drive, draw the line there, then we're likely to embolden China to go even further. That's the lesson of the last hundred years of international affairs, that when you have an aggressive totalitarian dictator, their appetite grows with the eating, okay? And you can't just give up, you know, demo- parts of a democracy uh, in order to appease them. It never works. It, it, it just never works. It always ends terribly. So we haven't learned that lesson for some reason. And we, I hope we don't have to learn it again in Taiwan. You know, when it comes to the CHIPS Act, I think, listen, that's good. We need to compete with China. We need more chips for sure, you know. But it doesn't really change the situation in Taiwan because Taiwan still has the better chips, okay? Even after the CHIPS Act, they're going to have uh, most of the really most important chips for as far as as long as as far as the eye can see. That means we have another reason to protect them because if Taiwan goes to China, we're going to get cut off from all of that. Okay, it's going to harm us. We have an economic and national security interest in seeing Taiwan survive because even after they build all of those chips acts, you know, factories in Ohio and Arizona, whatever, still 95% of the most important chips will still be in Taiwan. Uh, and that's never going to change, at least not for the next 30 or 40 years. So we, you know, add that to the list of reasons. If you don't care about democracy and human rights and 23 million people struggling to, like, live a basic life, the, our way of life, where, where they don't have to, you know, preach the Chinese Communist Party gospel every single day or get dinged on their social credit score. If you don't care about that, just think that we've started a tech war with China. Taiwan's on our side of that for the moment. And if, if they get Taiwan, then, well, we might lose that tech war, and then our economy might be really, really Right, screwed. and we have to divest, and we have to ask these big conglomerates and these major financial institutions to divest and get out. And yes. there's got to be a way to do that. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But my last question to you is, Republicans are, look like they're going to take the House, maybe the Senate. They want to find out about the origins of COVID-19. Do you, do you think there'll be a yes. problem with that? Do you think you'll get any cooperations yeah. from the other party on that? No. Yes. <laughs> so— Yes, I want to find out the answer to how we got into the pandemic. I think it's an urgent national security and public health issue that we've ignored as a town in Washington and as a society in America for two years because of politics and 
people, you know, didn't like whatever narrative they didn't like. And we still don't know how we got into this mess. So it's an urgent thing. We have to do it. Now, do I think there'll be problems with it? Yeah, because right now we don't have any Democrats who will stay, raise their hand and say, I agree with that. You know, there aren't any Democrats who are willing to look into the NIH and its funding of the various labs in Wuhan or USAID or any of the other stuff that was going on that may have, we don't know, but may have contributed to the outbreak. And so the Republicans are going to give it their best shot. And some of those efforts will be serious. Some of them will be less serious. Some of them are likely to find new evidence. Some of them won't. But yeah, it would be really great if we just had one Democrat with enough courage to stand up in front of a microphone and say, hey, listen, this is not a political issue. It's not a scientific issue. It's a forensic issue. Something happened. A horrible, horrible thing happened that affected 7 billion people and still affects us. And in order to make sure that it doesn't happen again, we have to figure out what happened. And we don't have that. I can't find any and that's a that's a shame. That's a that's a uh, a crying shame because uh, they'll just attack the Republican investigations as partisan uh, by not participating in them. They've made them partisan, so it's a it's a catch twenty two. But I'm open minded. I want to see what the Republicans can come up with. I want to see why the NIH has been dribbling out redacted files for two years, three years, almost three years now. Why is that? Why can't our own system? Give us the information that they have. Why is it pulling teeth mm -hmm. through FOIA requests? Let's get some subpoenas flying. Let's get some witnesses on the record, under oath, under penalty of perjury, to tell us what they know. And then after we've had that, then let's have a discussion about what's the most likely outcome. And if you think you've proven it one way or the other, then you're fooling yourself because the investigation has never been done. And the, any progress on that is a good thing. And I hope it starts right away. Josh Rogan, great work as usual. Always insightful. Appreciate it. That Anytime. Washington Post is quite lucky to have you. When we come back, uh, we'll take your calls because I'm lucky to have you as listeners. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. We've got a few minutes. one 408 7669 Just quick correction. Saturday, I'm going to be at Books a Million in Scranton. So please get tickets ahead of time. This way you can get right to the front of the line. Uh, uh, Rochester was fantastic at Barnes & Noble, but I didn't do a good job telling people to go on, go to BrianKillMe.com and click on tickets. Kind of forgot. It's been a while. Now the paperback is out, the President Freedom Fighter. But if you just click on tickets, this way there's a ticket line and non-ticketed line. No one's getting turned away. We're just trying to, uh, to have an idea just to prepare. But I hope to, hope everybody, I hope to see all the listeners in person. Uh, Rose, listening online in California. Hey, Rose. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Um, uh, I'm a farmer out here in California, and as uh, and you're worried about the diesel. You're worried about the diesel shortage, right? Well, I'm worried about the diesel shortage, but I'm also trying to, as well aware, not just the truck, but without you know. A nation without food cannot defend itself, and it starts here. And as much as we need our truckers to get products made, so Rose, Rose, I, I get you. You got to get also equipment. The supply chain and water is an issue. Unbelievable, uh, over in California. So it's real challenging for you. I understand you're in the middle of rural areas, so the so the lines not great. But we get your point. 
That's real working people. That's why when people talk about abortion and 22 weeks and exceptions, yeah, that's important. But there's no way it's the top five thing on everybody's mind, from crime to supply chain to gas to oil to utility bill, basics, and overall inflation. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to do a simulcast with Harris Faulkner, talk about what's happening in the news, a lot of stuff, as well as the President of Freedom Fighter now out on paperback with new information on it. And I just really covered the taking down of the statues of Lincoln and Douglas and, and how we've really screwed up our past by trying to judge it by what the, our present and not in the era in which these people lived. And then Bill Hemmer. Oh, man, is he into the numbers and the districts and the states when it comes to these midterm elections? Bill Hember will be here in studio. And if you're watching Fox Nation, of course, you can see the stream. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Venezuelan migrants essentially rushed the border in El Paso. So you're going to see a line of Border Patrol agents start pushing those migrants back into the water, into Mexico. And those border agents were armed with paintball guns. Now, why did they do that? CBP says some of these migrants attacked the Border Patrol agents. It's like the Gaza Strip, horror at the border. Venezuelans with the Venezuelan flag think they own this country. Border Patrol pushes them back. And people are criticizing the Border Patrol. Are you kidding me? Where's the praise from Mayorkas and President Biden for what they do on a daily basis? Number two. The oil industry is not doing the right thing. They haven't met their commitment to invest in America and support the American people. Unbelievable. He always has to find an enemy. Oil wars. Not with OPEC Plus, but with American energy, oil and gas led by the president. Number one. The latest Fox News power ranking shows Republicans with 49 possible seats in the Senate, Democrats 47, four races we call toss-ups. The House forecast is 223 Republican with 186 Democrat, 26 are still in that toss-up column. That's why I don't really get into the House too much, but I am looking at what's happening in the Senate in these governor races. I'm talking about six days and counting to the big elections, the midterms that everyone's looking forward to. Republicans are looking forward to it more than Democrats, and they should be. They have momentum. They got the issues. They have, when it comes to crime, Republicans grade much higher. When it comes to the economy, Republicans grade, high, uh, grade much higher. And when inflation that didn't exist before President Biden took over, it graded mu- they grade much higher. Now, President Biden's skew is, and Democrats' skew as well, everybody's got inflation. No, not everybody. Australia is down. Uh, China, down. And they started this whole thing because of the pandemic. And then Japan is down. South Korea is down. We have Western Europe. But they're a socialized economy. It doesn't have the engine that we have. So don't, I would not acquiesce and put ourselves into that category of everybody else. I think we're 14th highest uh, inflation in the world. That's nothing to be proud of. Or 12th, I think it is, if my uh, unofficial math means anything. Uh, A couple of things going on right now. The Cook Report has moved 10 seats uh, to lean GOP. And you know where most of them are? In New York and California. That's pretty significant. Why? The governor's races. Gavin Newsom's been MIA. He's trying to run for president. Gavin Newsom's trying to run for president, and he's left. He's going out to uh, fight with the Texas governor and— 
with the new uh, with the Florida governor DeSantis. And guess what's left behind? Everyone in California. The only thing that's growing in California is the homeless population and the number of people that are leaving the state, which is one of the most beautiful with the most natural resources of any in the union. It's because it's been a hellhole because for the most part these permissive uh, law enforcement um, uh, uh, guidelines or lack thereof and the way in which the homeless population has been allowed to flourish that any type of medical health, uh, medical response, as well as legal response, uh, law and order response, because we know more and more they're getting uh, violent. So let's look inside the individual races and see how it's all adding up. Uh, in particular, we have uh, Georgia. And in, in Georgia in particular, you have a situation where it's a one-point race. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has... Uh, Herschel Walker up by percentage points. This in spite of a second uh, second woman coming out, supplied by Gloria Allred, who's paying her bills to say that Herschel Walker made her have an abortion. Uh, the same one for three months ago. I don't think people care. I think people are over it. And I think obviously when people are attacking like this and to combine both members, put 500 million, both parties put $500 million into this race. One seat in Georgia Two African-American men, one of which we never bring up that he's black, but the other one, which we nonstop bring up that he's black, he's being attacked by his intellect, that he's just an athlete, just a celebrity. Really? Here's Herschel Walker, cut two. It is sad we have people that I'm running against that said America need to apologize for whiteness, but yet you're going to have people that are going to vote for him. But that's only in America. Only in America we can get someone that can have a safe things like that, that people will go out and cast a vote for. In other countries, I guarantee you they wouldn't have the right to say that. But because this country is so great that we give people the right to say those things, you can vote for someone like that. But yet what we have to do, though, to quit trying to separate America and bring people together. And I believe in unifying. I believe in representing everyone, not representing a certain party. But what they want to do is, from SNL on down to Barack Obama, they want to say that he's not worthy. I mean, listen to Al Sharpton, cut five. Yeah, you're right. J.D. Uh, Vance never won a Heisman, but uh, no one ever accused my friend in Georgia of ever writing, less known reading a book. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it kind of balances well, That's the issue. There's so much off. talk about John Fetterman and whether or not he's fit to serve after having a stroke and can he talk. Right. Has anyone interviewed Herschel Walker and listened to him on the issues? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, he just wrote a book three years ago. That's what caused the controversy. He talked about his mental health uh, issues, his push to get into the military, uh, how he started out as just a fat kid with almost no friends and became an international track star and football legend, who also uh, competed in the bobsled and UFC great, who went on to have one of the most successful businesses in Atlanta. Read his book. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back, everybody. Uh, we're going to do a hit with uh, Harris Faulkner on Fox News Show, the number one channel in all the world. I'm not just talking about news. I'm talking about BTSPN, the Cartoon Network, TED, uh, uh, TNT, whatever it is. It is number one. Then Bill Hemmer is going to come into studio and break down the numbers for us. Uh, and we see now, I think 538's got a 51% chance Republicans take the Senate. I, I was shocked to see Governor... Candidate uh, Carrie Lake, just a one-point advantage. I'm surprised at that. Uh, up, I, 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 th- I bet you she wins by about six or seven. Keep in mind, these polls that are consistently off 
If they end up being right, like the Emerson poll, which has Lee Zeldin down by eight, I'll give them credit. But they were way off last time, and we kind of give them a pass, and we just look at the after effects. Let's look at the polls that were totally misleading. I mean, the Siena New York Times poll that had in every major race outside Adam Laxalt's race in Nevada, Republicans losing every close call. I don't understand. Democrats at one point have to have an issue that people care about and be graded higher than Republicans. And what you have now is President Obama out there saying, well, the Republicans, they want to get rid of Medicaid and Social Security. It's not even a top 10 issue uh, right now. And nobody wants that. And when asked, they, they don't even subscribe to that. They will not subscribe to fact check. But with the veins popping out of Barack Obama's head, he keeps screaming about this. And he says they have no answers. I don't know. Build up the border. They paid for a wall. High tech. More Border Patrol. Less than 87,000 new IRS agents. How about that? How about an idea where we build up defense again and we stop these uh, uh, the bad players from going crazy? So let's listen in together to Harris Faulkner show. No one join us. Blue getting redder by the hour. No one saw that coming. Perhaps the real clear politics average shows Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul leading her GOP challenger Lee Zeldin by fewer than five points. A far cry from the near twenty point lead she held in September. I mean, how do you lose that much and like since Labor Day? And now she's out with ads like this one. She passed a comprehensive crime plan to make it happen. It goes after illegal guns to make our neighborhoods safer, toughens bail laws to keep repeat offenders off our streets, and gets help for the homeless and those suffering with mental illness. You deserve to feel safe. And as your governor, I won't stop working until you do. Oh, she better hurry up, because this isn't going to help her. A terrible story out of her hometown of Buffalo. A mom of three was allegedly executed in front of her children less than 24 hours after her estranged husband had been let go from jail, released with no bail. Police arrested him after video surfaced. We must warn you, it's tough to watch. It's a caught-on-camera beatdown she posted to her Facebook page in desperate plea for help. It shows Adam Benenfield viciously beating her inside her home. The violent attack goes on for eight full minutes. Kiara, that's who he was beating. Now, this man is charged with killing his wife. The New York Post cover today features the victim's photo with the words from her anguished mother. She blames her daughter's death on Governor Hochul's inability to rein in crime. And an op-ed headlined, A Governor Hochul's Refusal to Fix Bail Laws is a War on Women. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox & Friends, host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Um, Brian, first of all, this is so hard to talk about, but then to see the ads that the governor is putting out, does she not know what's happening? Not uh, just in her state, but in Buffalo, her hometown. Harris, a couple of things. We get the crime ad now. I mean, she was talking about abortion and Donald Trump in January 6th up until now. And by the way, Kathy Hochul thought she just raised a lot of money, and she raised a ton of money behind mm -hmm. closed doors. Uh, the quid pro quo is, is ripe for an investigation. And then she realizes, I'm losing ground in the polls. I, didn't, uh, uh, I do not, uh, did not do well on the debate. 
You remember that famous line, I don't know why you're so obsessed with, the, with sentences when it comes to criminals. And this story, to expand on it, the bomb came out and said, hey, governor, you're responsible for this. Why? Because they said, he said, lock this up. We needed lock him up, needed some help because of your bail laws that you refused to examine. Yes, you did not implement them. Cuomo shepherded that in. The New York legislature kept it in. When the new mayor, Eric Adams, went up to Albany, they laughed at him and said, basically, go back and learn your job. And she did nothing about it. And now, 24 hours later, execution style, that woman was killed. And her mother stands up and says on the cover of the Post, it is your fault. And that's what people say in Manhattan. No one can stop all crime. Donald Trump didn't stop the border, but no one didn't close it. But he helped it. It took him a while because he's not an absolute monarch. But no one could doubt that he was attacking it. We had a previous administration that attacked crime. Yes, crime was on the move. But federal agents were sent out when Portland was a problem. National Guard was offered to Chicago when the, the gang started taking over the streets. And they wanted to crack down in New York City. It was stopped by an incompetent mayor who liked to sleep till noon while his city burned. So to me, you have Governor Hochul scrambling with Hillary Clinton and the the vice president is not going to save her. Evidently, the Democratic Party is mad at her, Harris, because she is allowing other seats to become vulnerable because she's so incompetent uh, at her job. You know what's interesting about what you're saying? Because I I started uh, this segment with who saw this coming. Well, it was in slow motion because you go all the way back to de Blasio here in New York. That's who I think you're referencing. And then now you have this new mayor who basically parties till noon and tells us that crime is a perception problem that that people who are here are all living through that isn't real. So now you've got a governor who's not even challenging that. She's busy holding on to her seat. Is that fair? Yeah, that's what politicians can do. I want to get this. A new op-ed with the title, Kathy Hochul Learns from Terry McAuliffe. Remember him? He was the Democrat in Virginia, the governor. Uh, And here's here's what it says. It says, she learns from McAuliffe on how to lose a blue state. And a New York Times op-ed with why a pro-Trump conservative might win the New York governor's race. An excerpt reading, rather than change course over the last year in the face of troubling trends on crime, inflation and immigration, Democrats nationwide, including Ms. Hochul, have paid lip service to voter anxiety. That's that perception I was telling you about, Brian. Yes. And people it's all think in our heads. Yeah, that was so Kathy Hochul's getting pressured on that and came out and said, what do you mean it's perception? They're data deniers. What do you mean data deniers? And then mm. when she was drilled down on that yesterday, she says, well, I was talking about murders and shootings. They're down 14 percent. Yeah. Year to year, they might be one category. Grand theft auto robberies, uh, assaults are all way up. Subway, uh, subway crime, 26 people pushed on the subway tracks. This is all way up, 26 in, the, in 2022. Who knows how many attempts weren't even reported because not enough cops down there to actually get report filed because they cut it down from, from 4,000 down to 2,000. So all of this stuff, she said, well, I was talking about murders and data deniers for people wow. to bring that up. And what Zeldin got is Mark Penn. That, was a, that, was a, that is a Clinton pollster that wrote a profile to say, hey, listen, I'm telling you right now, Zeldin's got a shot. And I ask you this, Harris, why would Glenn Youngkin come yesterday? Why would Ron DeSantis quickly scramble to get out here on Saturday and Mm -hmm. 12,000 packed a Long Island parking lot with Lee Zeldin if he didn't have a shot? Why did they do Sean Hannity's show last night together, the most popular governor, Republican governor in the country, and Lee Zeldin? Not because they're friends, 
because they have a chance at a mammoth upset. And it's basically because the Lee's held in strong and the Democrats have dropped the ball in a Democratic state and people are fed so up. It's also interesting, all those names you mentioned of, Dem of uh, Republicans who can help rock stars in the party. I mean, the Democrats have won. Barack Obama, we're going to have to get him some insure. He's going to be exhausted from going around. I mean, you, you, you rattled off names that have just come here. Yeah. Uh, but, but there are four of these states that are toss-ups. Who would have thought New York? It's not a toss-up yet, but who would have thought New York would even be in a conversation where Republican rock stars would want to jump in? Real quickly, your last word. My last word is I just wonder about Barack Obama's message. We know that he's a great conversationalist and a wonderful he communicator. Is. But why is he bringing up Social Security and Medicare? That's not, it. That's not on the docket. We all know that's rhetoric. Even Britt Hume said last so, night, really, you're pulling that out from eight years ago? Why, you come out and you tell me you're good on crime and sell me your story. Don't tell me Medicare and Social Security. Everybody knows Republicans aren't touching that. That's got to be looked at comprehensively in the non-discretionary yeah. spending category. So I wonder about his message, not, not Barack Obama's ability to communicate. Well, look, he's looking at segments of the population who often vote. And they know that they've lost a, a percentage of Latino voters, which is why Barack Obama would go to Phoenix and go to a high school in an area where he can talk to young Latino voters. Because Senator um, Bernie Sanders told us that the numbers are down for the youth vote. So you go for the other ends, Social Security, Medicare. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on just a few days ago told me they can tout that and then they can do exactly what you described, Brian. They can watch what they do rather than what the opponents are saying. And, and I would right. say this, Donald Trump's doing a lot of rallies too. Uh, Barack Obama is great at one thing, losing seats. No one lost more Democratic Oof. seats than Barack Obama. Everyone knows he's a great communicator, can get a crowd, All right. but the message doesn't resonate. I got to let you go so that you can get back on the air on Fox Radio. We, Fox we are News together. Radio. We're on together. So yeah, we're, we're simulcasting. It's been fun always. Thank you, Brian. Go get him, Harris. See you in the hallways of, uh, of the library. Yes. Anyway, all right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Now, we're coming up against a break, right, Allison? we got to be just a few seconds. Correct. When we come back, Bill Hammer joins us in studio, and perhaps if you have some great calls, why don't you write them? Why don't you, in fact, email me? It might be better. This way I can uh, get right to the ones that Bill can answer best. So go to BrianKillMe.com, click on comments, and just write down a quick thought about this election and, and a question you want answered because no one gets into the numbers like Bill Hammer. Uh, and, you know, he's always on the big board for the number one station in all the world. Don't move. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, you're right. J.D. Uh, Vance never won a Heisman, but uh, no one ever accused my friend in Georgia of ever writing, less known reading a book. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it kind of balances well, That's the issue. There's so off. much talk about John Fetterman and whether or not he's fit to serve after having a stroke and can he talk. Right. Has anyone interviewed Herschel Walker and listened to him on the issues? <laughs> That is uh, Morning Joe. Uh, they seem to have a great time, everyone does, insulting Herschel Walker's intellect, whether it's SNL on down. 
Uh, we have somebody else saying, uh, talking about that. Jimmy Kimmel says inside his head is a bunch of rocks or something. Okay. Uh, I did not know that was fair game just to just comment on people's uh, intellect, especially uh, minorities. I'm not, I thought we moved past that as a country. Uh, Bill Hammer, co-anchor of America's Newsroom, 9 to 11. He's uh, also the man at the big board during our election coverage, always studying the numbers. Bill, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Nice to be with you, brother. How are you, you doing? Are you surprised in this day and age of people getting a pass on going after African-Americans and just saying, Herschel Walker, not bright? Well, I think um, the outcome will dictate uh, the course of that story. Right? I mean, everybody's predicting him going down. That's essentially what the suggestion is. From Al Sharpton. From uh, from everybody who's criticizing him. Right. Walker's turned to be a better candidate than people thought. Um, they've hit him with just about everything you can think of. Right. And he's still standing. Um, and according to one poll, winning. Um, yes. Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. What was the number on that? Um, I got it right was here. Was it a point or was it two it's points? No, percentage points. Not even a full point. Uh-huh. Uh, point four. Uh, here's the deal, Leo. I, I don't think either guy right now... Uh, Walker could get to 50%, but, Georgia, you need a 50% threshold to avoid the runoff on, on December 6th. I throw all this December, stuff— December, not January. December 6th, correct on that. I throw all this stuff out the window. Wait till our poll comes out tonight at 6 o'clock Eastern. We're doing—sorry, we're, do, we're doing Pennsylvania, and we're doing Georgia. Let's see what it says then. $500 million I, I like, put into Georgia. I like our polling, okay? One thing, though, the listeners need to keep in mind, that was the MOE, the margin of error. right. We had a poll earlier today from Pennsylvania that was plus or minus six points. <laughs> Chuck that sucker into the garbage can. What, good what, what basically that means is that you can move both sides higher or lower than six points. The margins, it shouldn't even be discussed. If you, got a, if you got an MOE that's at three points, that seems to be the average. If you got less than that, it seems to be a bit more accurate. Ronna McDaniel told me that the New York Times in 2020 had Trump off Half a point in Ohio on election day. It won one by, by eight. One by eight, which is outside the margin of error for that poll. So after Fetterman's horrendous debate, in which he clearly is suffering the after effects of the stroke, he is trying to rehab and get himself back in it. Have you seen a definitive poll without a margin of error of six since the debate? Because no. I haven't really seen one. Not that I recall, no. So here's Fetterman trying to explain himself to Don Lemon yesterday on why he will not give up his, his medical records to see how bad this stroke was. Cut 13. And listen, I, I'm asking the question for the voters because then voters may, at, may wonder, is there a reason that you don't want your doctors to take questions? That's why I keep asking this. No, oh, I, I, just, I just believe that we have our doctors uh, just weigh in on that, and, and they believe that I'm fit, uh, to, fit, fit to serve, and that's that's – a point uh, that was compatible uh, made in, in June and compatible here just in October. And, you know, I cho- choose the, uh, you know, my real doctors composed to some of the criticism from like, uh, you know, like a real Dr. Oz uh, that's just trying to weaponize uh, somebody that just, you know, had a, uh, had a stroke. Does that help you? Listen, um, this is a race that's too close to call. This is a race where you could have, Effectively, a stroke victim be elected to the U.S. Senate. Pittsburgh Gazette, um, is it? Pittsburgh well, Gazette said, I'm going to go with Oz because you're not being transparent. To which, uh, to which I would refer you to that editorial. I thought it was very well done, actually. It was thoughtful. It's two and a half pages long as you print it out. Um, it endorsed Obama in 08. It endorsed Obama in 2012. It endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016 and endorsed Trump in 2020. 
So they're, they're they're on both sides here, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I would I would suggest over the past several cycles they've been more center left than they have been center right. What about but, the, but they endorsed Oz and they gave very interesting rationale and it came back to the medical records. They said it just looks like you are simply hiding something, and if you want to go, if you yeah. want us to trust you, of how do we begin to trust you unless you give us what is the essential component? to what you're dealing with in your personal life today. How about five-minute appearances where he doesn't talk? He appeared with the president. They didn't even have a rally, didn't even take questions from the press. So obviously he's hiding something, or you usually do that when you feel as though you have a gaffe machine as a candidate or a client. Yeah, I've watched a couple of his appearances. I haven't seen one in a couple of weeks, I'll be honest. But you know, going back to September and the first part of October, I, I watched his entire campaign stump. And sometimes it was seven minutes and 30 seconds, and sometimes it was 13 minutes long. But it wasn't much more than that. And I, I don't know if Pennsylvania Democrats will be satisfied with that. Right. Yeah, I just thought that the, uh, the, on, the con- on the surface, Connor Lamb, they say more of a, uh, a moderate. If some say he's a little bit less moderate than he actually is. But he would give Oz a much harder time, it seems. It seems like you were focusing on a guy that is like more like Bernie Sanders than he is like Joe Manchin in a state that's purple. Yes, a few things I've observed, Brian, just looking at the numbers here. When they did that primary debate, there were two other contenders, one of which was one of whom was Connor Lamb. And they said that even in that debate, Fetterman was slower on his answers than everybody else. This is pre-stroke now. So this is going back before middle May and before the primary. Um, Oz's problem appears to be likability in Pennsylvania. His unfavorable numbers are higher than you want them to be. Having said that, some of the most recent polling shows a sizable number of undecided voters in Pennsylvania, sometimes double digits. Right. All right, you're double digits six days out. Where are those people going to go? I would say ultimately they decide this election. And it was a tough primary. Right, Barnett got over thirty percent. Didn't she get thirty percent? Didn't uh, McCormick just barely? It took another two or three weeks for McCormick to officially say, "Okay, I lost by a few thousand. Yeah, but what I would be curious to know in Pennsylvania, and I don't have this answer, and neither do you, because they haven't voted yet. Two things I would say, Brian: the rurals are going to be very important. They help propel propel Trump. Um, I, I I don't know how they vote. In this election. I don't I know they're jacked up about Trump's uh, appearing with him Saturday. That could help. That could help. I, I do agree with you on that. But are you worried about my rating suffering on Saturday night? Uh, no, I think you're going to blow it out. Even, at, even with at, Trump. As okay. you typically do. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that Pennsylvania counts weird. People need to stop and understand this. They haven't changed their laws. It's a Republican state house. Right. What are they doing? I'd really, really like to understand this. Essentially, the mail-in votes are right. opened at 7 a.m. on Election Day. They're not counted at 7 a.m. This is very important to understand. They're processed. So they're put into their piles in every precinct across the state. They count the in-person day of vote first. Right. Polls close at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's when they start counting the mail-in ballots all across the, the state. So if, if it's close, you're not going to have an answer. There's a, there's a Republican running in Pennsylvania 8. This is my job, so I'm trying to yeah, I'm teach you on this. Northeastern corner. It's Scranton, Lackawanna County. His name is Jim Bugnett. He's a Republican. Right. Uh, it's a rematch of 2020. At midnight in 2020, he went to bed leading by 10,000 votes. 
the next day he had lost by 13,000. So just caution your listeners that when you're watching the returns from Pennsylvania, that things could get wacky yet again. So I love this, and this is the way you do it. Uh, Ronna McDaniel had a problem with these ballots that were gone out in Pennsylvania, and they, she sued, and the Supreme Court ruled that the county cannot count mail-in and absentee ballots that are undated or, or dated incorrectly. Instead, the ballots will be pulled and preserved. And the first time I heard that was when Mark Levin said it on Fox and Friends. basically said in the break, what are, you, what are you talking about? They just sent out a bunch of ballots undated with no names. Mm-hmm. So I love that they just took legal action before rather than after, and a court listened and acted. I would agree. Can that be appealed? I don't know. I haven't read that deeply on it, but if it's if it's a final decision, then that, that may be a good thing for the process. Yeah. I just think everybody has to examine their precinct and make sure they're comfortable with it. If not, uh, let somebody know, because I don't want to hear after the election. I got a problem with the way they counted. Mm. I got a problem with the way they took my vote. I had a problem with the ID. I had a problem with signature match. Yeah. Whatever it is, you got to move. You got to approach it. You got to take action. Every every voice matters, but you can't do it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. There's there, listen. There's going to be for the Democrats. There's going to be a ton of attention on this state over the next six days. A ton. Uh, Jason Riley's writing that Barack Obama is going to plan a rally in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's true, but if it is true, they're going to Pittsburgh or Philly, Right. period, end. You look at that state and you examine the margin between Biden and Trump in 2020, I think it's 81,000 off the top of my head, raw votes. In Philadelphia alone, the margin was 471,000, Biden over Trump. You want to win the state? You're a Democrat. You go to Philly and you do it repeatedly because that's where the votes are. For right. Yourself. Just don't let Fetterman talk. Just say, I want you to meet the guy's senator. I'll take it from here. And he'll take his coat off and he'll talk. What about the decision for Barack Obama to go after Social Security and Medicare and say that's what Republicans I, want to take away? I mean, look. Doesn't it uh, seem bizarre uh, as a tactic? I would say that there was a slight pivot in the past week to economic concerns. I think that was smart. It, it might be late. We'll see how voters decide. Um, but that, that was the idea that. They're going to take your money away, and that's going to hurt you more than that's, – that's going to go on top of gas prices and inflation and a bad economy. I just thought it was bizarre. No one's brought that up. Rick Scott put something out early on. Do we have to revisit non-discretionary this is, spending? Brian, this is an old Saul. You hear it every, every election, do you not? Every campaign it comes up. Right. All right. It just is odd. And Rick Scott's idea was every five years you take a look at all your government spending and evaluate it. Yeah. And you vote up or down as to whether or not you want to continue. That, that, that might work pretty well in the business world, but it's probably not going to work. Now, I know in you've had a rivalry with Britt Hume, but do you mind if I play a cut from him? No, please. Cut 26. We've been hearing that uh, claim about the Republicans slashing Social Security and Medicare for as long as I can remember, going back decades. But in recent election cycles, there hasn't been any serious proposals coming from the Republicans to touch those programs. Donald Trump basically ruled it out. And nobody is seriously proposing it now. It is an old saw used by Democrats usually when they're in some trouble. And it comes out nearly every election cycle. It's really those two things have not been an issue in this campaign. For There's no reason for them to be. I've, but I, at this I've point, heard. I guess Democrats are going to try whatever has worked in the past, just like Obama. He's worked in the past, too. And I think they think he's, he stands a little bit better with the people than uh, Mr. Mr. Biden does, given his approval ratings and his job approval numbers. It's a lot of the same language you're using I, for you Brit know, Hume. I've, I've heard that he's your number one listener. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Back in a moment. 
Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's a lot of professionals in life that go through things that they deal with at work and they deal with at home. And obviously the good news is things that it's a very amicable situation. And I'm really focused on two things and taking care of my family and certainly my children. And secondly, doing the best job I can to win football games. So that's what professionals do. You focus at work when it's time to work. And then when you come home, you focus on the priorities that are at home and all you can do is the best you could do. And that's what I'll just continue to do as long as I'm working and as long as I'm being a dad. And that, ah. and that is Tom Brady on his podcast with Jim Gray on Monday nights. Tough situation, right? His team is three and five, and he is divorced. I mean, he got divorced in like 10 minutes. How did he do that, Bill? I don't Hammer? know what was going on there, brother. I, I didn't see it coming. I think it's wrong. I feel bad for all involved. And, you know, I mean, the football thing's secondary to – you know, right. as a relationship with his kids the rest of his life. But he put out that statement that everything was amicable. So, I mean, the, I, the, it appears that they were ready to go their separate ways. Do you hear the story? Such a sh- I, by the way, I just think just it's sad. sad. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. You know? The word sad. is he tried to save it at the last minute. Whose word? His or hers? Um, what was it? In uh, page they, six. They both. What's that? I think it was page six. Well, <laughs> both of them have, they have high-powered publicists. Who knows right. what? What the real story is. Hope the kids are okay. That's all. By the way, the team's not doing well. He's not playing well. I, I don't think he's happy with his head coach. He wasn't happy with his last head coach. How many more years is he going to go? I always thought he loved Byron uh, Leftwich as offensive coordinator. Now we see he's the problem. Yeah. They're, they're missing two or three offensive line. And now he's going to be just stuck doing Fox for $300 million. We could never work for that little. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's right? right? I mean, we could never. And what are the Bucks three and five, you said? Is that right? Bengals I, are four and four. I'm going to trade Three for and that. five, yeah. Three and five. You mean you would trade Brady? No, I would oh. not trade to have their record right now. we got enough problems. You talking about Cincinnati? Heck yeah, where we they do. will come on. We got night. key injuries in the last two weeks. Key critical injuries on special positions that are hard to find. Good All Pro athletes, right? Out. Are you helping? No bueno. I'm are thinking you, about going home. What about what, what about scouting a little? I mean, you have you have a laptop. I, I do. <laughs> you could be looking at some tape. <laughs> right. I mean, you could. Hey, coach, I got I got yeah, a guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to listen to me. Unfortunately. They, I, what, know, what do you think about the Brady deal? I've, I haven't really heard you talk about it. Number one, when he didn't show up to training camp, it had no excuse. And they said, don't worry about it. When he, he left for to, 11 days. And he went to Bob Kraft's wedding on Saturday night before a game. Yeah, but he's got a plane. He flies in, flies out. Quick stuff. That, is that Keep going. old Tom Brady done Keep that? Going. Bill Belichick didn't go. Okay, fair. Right. Next. Next, I haven't seen any drop-off. I haven't watched uh, all the whole games, but I've watched quarters. I haven't seen him miss much. He doesn't look old. His team's not there. He doesn't have the same team he had even a year ago. Right. And certainly not two years ago. So, and with all the trades, nothing happened. So is he going to – he's going to be 8-8, eight and eight, and he's going to be divorced. Uh, he'll be lucky to be 8-8 eight and eight based right. on what I'm saying. I mean, this by the way, the Bengals are there mid-December in Tampa. I hope the Bengals are at least still standing by then. Would you memorize the schedule? No, 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 no. Because you should be focusing on the election. Actually, it's a great point. Can I tell you? Yeah. I never look ahead. But when the schedule came out, I said, you know what? There are two great games to go to. You might want to go to. One is in New Orleans. Went there. We won it. 
and then the other one is Tampa. Because I was looking at this Burrow Brady, you right. know, handoff to the next great quarterback in the league, and that's a game that I'd like to see. But both teams are in total collapse right now, and I'm not happy about it. So, Bill, you go to the Super Bowl every year, right? You go to yes, I do. As you do. Yeah, sure. Okay. It's in Glendale. You'll be there. Fox has it. Right. I'm going to go. Uh-huh. Okay. And if you do the interview with me, you can write the trip off. Oh, right on. But I don't want one hit three or four minutes. I, uh-huh. want, I want, hey, Bill, can you join me on radio? So you're saying i got to take you on America's Newsroom and then you save money? Oh, yeah, that'll be good, too. But I'm talking about you go in person on Sunday, you know. I'm going to be doing hits. Why don't oh, you come by? I would by? definitely come and see you. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll do something on air. Yeah. Right. Count on it. Okay, good. Is that radio or TV? TV. Okay. Yeah, so you gotta, uh, we'll provide makeup. Got it. And you, can, you have a wardrobe deal already. Mm-hmm. I've already arranged that. <laughs> right? Do we have to write a book about it, too? I think or? we do. You, you know what? You know my one goal? What's now that? you have Will Kane. You uh-huh. have Bill Hammer. You have Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we what have do a whole they have department. in common? We have a sports background. Yes. What about a Fox News post-game show at the Super Bowl? Fox has the Super Bowl in two years again. I, I know you've been pushing this for a and, long and time. And you've always been ambivalent. I'm, no, I, I, I've i never seen the way that we would find our way to yes. Now, and, But that's not our decision. No, no, it is, Bill. You have so much power. Not true. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.